birth doesn't ask you to be fearless. It asks you to be brave. That's a quote from Britta Bushnell, the author of Transformed by Birth. Another thing she says in her book, when we enter the world of birth, we step across the threshold from the mundane to the sacred. Pregnancy and birth are a space between worlds, a liminal space, a place where you are no longer not a parent and not yet one either. This betwixt and between is a sacred space within which powerful and profound events occur, often invited. Enjoy this conversation with Britta Bushnell. What does a contraction feel like? How do I know if I'm in labor? And what does a day of labor look like? Wait, is this normal? Hey, I'm Heidi. My best friends call me Hydes. I'm a certified birth doula, host of this podcast, and author of Birth Story, an interactive pregnancy guidebook. I have supported hundreds of women through their labor and deliveries, and I believe every one of them and you deserves a microphone and a stage. So here we are. Listen each week to get answers to these tough questions. Birth Story, where we talk about pregnancy, labor, deliveries, where we tell our stories and share our feelings. And of course, chat about our favorite baby products and motherhood. And because I'm passionate about birth outcomes, you will hear from some of the top experts in labor and delivery. Whether you are pregnant, trying desperately to get pregnant, or you just love a good birth story, I hope you will stick around and be part of this birth story family. So like, let's say you're pregnant. That's why you're listening to the birth story podcast and you're preparing for a hospital birth that's upcoming. And of course, this podcast gives you tons of free information, right? But like, do you really understand the stages of labor? How to know when you're in labor? What if you have to have an induction? What about a cesarean section? What about all of the decisions that you have to make once you get to the hospital? So you get there and then they put you in triage. Birth Story Academy walks you through all the things that happen, like that rapid fire with like monitoring and blood work and questions and IV ports and do you want an epidural? I don't know. Do you? In Birth Story Academy, we literally break down all of those decisions Pros, cons, risks, benefits, intuition. And like we get into it. We make birth plans. We do birth visions. We listen to birth affirmations and parenting affirmations. And at the end of it, like you know exactly what's going to happen when you go into labor and when you get to the hospital. What's going to happen after you give birth? Newborn care preferences. How to take care of your baby. So I guess what I'm getting at is... If you're not in Birth Story Academy, what's your plan, right? Like, I want to be your teacher. I want you to come join me in Birth Story Academy and let me walk you through all of the decisions that you have to make if you're having a hospital birth and how to have body autonomy and how to have informed consent and informed refusal. I'm going to teach you and your partner, if you have one, everything that you need to know about birthing in a hospital so that you can walk in that door with some swagger some confidence, like wash that anxiety away because you learned everything you needed to learn in Birth Story Academy and you are ready to crush that birth, right? Okay, let's do it. And let's get to this episode. Hey, Britta, welcome to the Birth Story Podcast. Thank you for having me, Heidi. I'm excited to be here. I am very excited too, and I just really want to dig into your work and Transformed by Birth, and my audience asked for you to be here, and so... Oh, yay. I love hearing that. How amazing that you're here, so thank you for saying yes, and... Absolutely. I know you just celebrated the third anniversary of this amazing book, 
So let's just start there. Tell everybody who may not have a copy of your book or know about you, can you just share a little bit about who you are and what role you're playing in the birth world today? Oh, absolutely. So yes, Transformed by Birth was published in January, three years ago, January. So I just, I have a toddler now. That That's kind of mm-hmm. how I feel about this. And I, let's see, my road to birth started as a yoga teacher back many years ago, back in the 1990s, actually. And I was pregnant with my first and I was a yoga teacher and my boss was like, ah, oh, you're pregnant. You teach yoga. Why don't you teach the prenatal yoga? And I was like, all right, sure. I'll do that. And I did. And I found I loved it. And so I kept teaching, but then I felt like I needed more. And so I went deeper into birth work and became a childbirth educator, a doula, all of it, and started integrating so much while simultaneously raising two little boys Mm-hmm. and supporting my my relationship with my husband. At one point, I became a co-owner and head of the mentor program for Birthing From Within and one of their facilitators who did the trainings and taught the what were then called level ones. It has different words and names to it now um, and did all of that. And then it and then when that cycle ended, I decided, you know what I want to do? I want to go back to school. And I thought I was going to go back to school to become a therapist and went and looked at therapy programs and was like, oh my God, I cannot do these classes. I have no interest in things like reporting and the the rules of this, that, and the other. And I was like, oh no, that's not me. And I saw this program in mythology and I was like, oh, that is me. So I got a PhD in mythology while my kids were in elementary school. And that was a whole thing, let me tell you. But the writing of the dissertation required for for my PhD was like the research phase of Transformed by Birth. Even when I was formulating my dissertation topic, my committee was like, Britta, this isn't just a dissertation. This is a book for the public. And so I took it and I will say that I had to de-academify it. And I had to, I spent six years learning how to write like an academic. And then I had to spend two years learning how to not write like an academic. (laughs) So it was a whole, whole process, but bringing in my stories as a childbirth educator, because I've been teaching for over 20 years, my experiences as a doula, although that's not my primary focus and my passion and, and academic study of mythology. And so I use mythology. I use storytelling. I use metaphor and symbols to talk about this phenomenal and profound journey that people go through when they become parents. And that is what became transformed by birth. Okay. Well, I have a ton of questions for you. Oh, well, let's do it. But I want to like go back because birth work, every birth worker that I talk to, it's a calling. And it sounds like if we were to go back to the 1990s and you found your way into this yoga class, like, could you describe like at where or at what point that prompting what that felt like mm. to do more? Yes. I, well, I remember the moment, one of the moments, and I don't know if I've ever shared this publicly, but I remember being on a retreat with my husband that was about finance and life and career trajectory and things of that sort. And we had just gotten married, I don't know five months before or something like that. And one of the things we were supposed to do was talk about our five-year plan, our 10-year plan. And I was starting to not feel like yoga teaching was my calling. Mm -hmm. I enjoyed it. I was good at it. I was well-connected. It was making me a good living, all of those things, but there was something missing. 
And at that retreat, the only thing that kept coming up for me was I wanted to be a mom. And I was like, damn, where'd my feminist part of me go? That's like (laughs) career, career, let's do this. And the only thing that kept coming up in the five year, 10 year was like, mom, mom, mom. And my husband and I left from that retreat and had a long, long drive. And we talked and we talked and we talked and we ended up deciding, let's do it. Let's, let's have a baby. And I think that in many ways, that was the moment of my call to birth work. I just didn't know it at the moment yeah, because it was conflated with my own desire to be a parent. And yet it was what was coming up when asked the question around what my career wanted to be. So Mm -hmm. I think that was it. And then when I was teaching prenatal yoga and folks were coming back after having their babies and saying, no, 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 you don't understand, Britta. My birth was really intense. I was like, yeah, birth is intense. That's truth. And so then I had to do some self-reflection around how I was teaching yoga that in some way I was communicating that you were supposed to yoga your way through labor or that you were supposed to meditate or that it was supposed to look a particular way. And that's that was probably the moment that sent me on a path to help parents in a different way. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a two-parter. Yeah, with very different messaging, right? And so we're going to dig into like the powerful messages and the just, it's not what, just what you say, it's how you deliver it on your platform too. That is quite inviting, I will say. So like, I'm glad to hear that. Where are you in the world, by the way? I am in Los Angeles. You're in LA. So if someone's lucky enough to be living in LA, couldn't they go to your in-person childbirth education courses right now? Yes. I teach both online, Mm -hmm. live and online. Thank you to Zoom World and what happened when we were all in quarantine for the pandemic and I had a class happening. I was like, oh, pivot. Pivot, got to figure this out. I actually love it. And it has created such an amazing opportunity to work with people live in and yet be wherever they are. And then I also have more like almost retreat style in-person classes where we dive in, we go deep. It's a full weekend. It's not residential. You You don't come and live at my house, but we do spend two full days together and we go deep. Mm -hmm. Never say never, Britta, because, you know, (laughs) 2026 is going to come one day. (laughs) Maybe it's in Hawaii, you know? I know. I know. I'm I'm not opposed to doing in-person residential retreats. I'm not. Me either. Invite me. I will come and I'll give them a massage or something while they're on their baby moon and learning from you. (laughs) Right? I mean, amazing. Yes. Don't we all need that? Yes. So birth transforms us in many, Indeed. in all the ways. It's the title of your book. Um, tell me about keeping the intimacy of your own birth stories I know is important to you. But tell me about how the birth of your children changed you. Mm. Oh, it changed me in a thousand different ways, both in the experience of going through the portal of birth, Mm -hmm. meeting parts of myself, letting myself need other people. That was a big part for me. Madam Independent over here mm-hmm. was like, oh, wow, you know what? Actually, I need support. I need help. I can't do this all by myself. Even though it's so highly personal and private and individual, it for me was also about receiving. 
And so I was transformed in that way, in learning to receive. My relationship was transformed in how we work together and showing up for each other and showing up for our children. There's there's so many things that I learned through the raw, gritty nowness of birth that became incredibly important things for me to know as a mom. My older son, just before he was three, so so at two and a, I don't know, two and three quarters. Do we talk about that at this point? <laughs> we don't count in in quarters of years anymore in my household. But when when he was not yet three, was diagnosed with type one diabetes, and that was a another wildly transformative experience. And in many ways, the experience of labor, birth, and early postpartum was the best preparation for that. How do you face the unexpected? How do you navigate that which you do not invite? And I had experiences in both of my births, while profound, transformative, powerful, I had experiences that were what I would call unbidden, uninvited. Like, uh, excuse me, no, that wasn't on my birth plan. That particular thing, no, 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 no. Mm -hmm. And it was, how do you navigate that? And birth as a rite of passage. So if we use the lens of rite of passage, one of the elements inherent within rites of passage is the unknown, is the unpredictable. Mm -hmm. That within that, there is magic. There is the spark of transformation. And I felt that. Would I go back and say, can I not have that particular thing go down? Right? Probably, but it's not what I got. What I got was an experience of having a baby who had a hard time coming onto the planet. And how do I navigate that? Mm -hmm. And it taught me about navigating so many other things in my life as a parent. Mm -hmm. I often... And in relationship too, right? Because oh. relationship's a whole other thing that is, especially when you are parents, is a big piece of facing the unexpected. Mm -hmm. And trying to do that in balance or in sync can also be challenging at first and then a growing experience when you finally do find yourself synced up in that parenting world. I think that your book touched me so deeply. So let me just put it out to you, Britta, since you don't know in the audience. I've been a birth worker for 20 years and I too wrote a book and was venturing into this online course world. And I thought I had read every book that there was to read. Like that was part of my journey when I was writing, right? As I was like, how can I create something unique to me? But I want to make sure that I, I'm presenting information that just hasn't been presented before or in a unique way. So, I mean, you said your PhD, your dissertation. I thought I had read every birth book under the planet. Well, then I interviewed this woman, Juanita Chase, on the podcast. And she told me about you and about your book. And I bought it instantly. And I read it in one day. <laughs> the topic was on trauma-informed birthing. And how she was able to take a long history of trauma and have a trans, a beautiful transformation uh, in her third birth instead of some things that had previously happened in her first two, in her first two births. And she quoted your book a lot in the episode, and it just was just really zinging at my heart, Britta. And so I, I literally mm. devoured it. Um, but where I found myself with your book. And then needing to kind of use some of the tools or the language in my own doula practice. 
was around this idea of surrender, transform, transition, letting go. When we have such high anxiety and such fear around the fragility of life, really, you know, absolutely. My son also um, has cerebral palsy and that is part of our story, right? Is, is a birth injury and surrendering so many times in labor, like you said, right? There's surrendering to this position or this sensation or this. And I remember surrendering when he lost his heart rate Mm. and, and thinking, please come back to me, you know? And he did, but with a stroke, a brain bleed and, um, and some physical and maybe some, you know, emotional challenges, differences, uniquenesses. But how could I have navigated any of this without those first eight hours, you know, or, or his brother's birth that came before him, you know? And so I really want to just spend some time here with you on this podcast is for everyone listening that's blossoming right now. They're nervous. They're, they have a lot of fear. They are, and they're like, Britta, Heidi, I hear you. <laughs> Surrender, transform, right? But practically, will you share? It's, it's different. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's the whole thing. And, and first, I just want to say thank you for your words. And thank you for sharing about your birth experiences. And yes, those, those unexpected and those places of surrender. And the idea that, oh, just surrender is, is, yeah, it's a bit of a tall order. It's not quite it. When we hear it, there's, there's an energy of it's something you can check off just surrender. Okay. Surrender check. I've surrendered. And in many ways, the idea of a checklist that we can go through is embedded within birth culture. It's embedded in what I call the over culture that we can control, that we can have certainty and that we have this Apollonian idea that says, we've got a list that we can move through and boom, 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 boom. And yet surrender is a practice. Surrender is not something you do. It's something that you are, that you, you practice, that you become. Mm-hmm. And that's a very different kind of thing. And that there's a thousand different ways to make it a practice in life that are kind of connected to the opposite or the antidote, shall we say, to the messaging from the overculture that is around the desire for control and the need for certainty. Mm-hmm. And the desire for control and the need for certainty are everywhere in childbirth. They start with a due date. Here you go. Here's a due date. And it gives the sense of certainty. It gives the sense of predictability. When birth professionals know, oh yeah, that doesn't say a whole lot. It gives you a window, kind of, maybe, sort of. I mean, I know a bunch of people who aren't even in their window when they give birth. But when we can expand expectations, that's a beginning practice of opening to the unbidden, which opening to the unbidden is the messaging that can be helpful in an overculture that says control, certainty. Those are primary. Let's put those up high. Mm -hmm. And so expanding, expanding expectations and not just expanding expectations, meaning let's make a more detailed birth plan My idea of expanding expectations is saying, okay, regardless of what happens in your birth journey, 
What do you need to know or do to support yourself? Mm-hmm. Who do you want or need around you? How do you lean into them or into other parts of yourself? When we, that the fear and anxiety that you spoke about is so prevalent in in childbirth preparation, in the journey of pregnancy, and it's normal. One of my teachers, Clarissa Pinkola Estes, says that fear is hungry for information, which I just love. Mm -hmm. So what happens is when we feel that fear, we feel that anxiety, we go, Oh my God, I got to read all the books. I got to listen to all the podcasts and I got to, I got to gather, gather, gather all the information. And while gathering information can be helpful in the age of information, it can actually create a spiral of more anxiety. So there's that, it becomes that practice of how do I expand what I need to know about myself rather than out there entirely mm-hmm. so that I can rely on, on things beyond information because information is just one kind of knowing mm-hmm. so that we can go deeper and be ready to meet the unexpected Because even if your birth doesn't offer you some unexpected morsels, parenthood certainly will. Yes. (laughs) I often say, Britta, if you didn't learn it in your fertility journey, then you'll probably learn it in your pregnancy journey. And if you didn't learn it in your pregnancy journey, you'll probably learn it in your birth journey. And if not, you'll definitely definitely get all of the lessons in the parenthood journey. Absolutely. (laughs) Agreed. Absolutely. And often every one of those things brings that knowingness. Absolutely. Because it's a journey, not a destination. Mm -hmm. And yet we, as the overculture messaging is about climbing, achieving, destination focus rather than journey focused. And so the idea that there's a there there is embedded in the cultural messaging that we get here. And unhooking from that to a more journey related understanding of life, (laughs) I'll just say life, Mm -hmm. but also of parenthood, of also of birth, of also of pregnancy and fertility. Each of those, it's it's journey-based, mm-hmm. not destination-based. Mm-hmm. It's how are we going to walk the path as the path unfolds in front of us? We don't always know what's on the other side of the forest. Yeah. So how do we start by saying, okay, what's the next step right in front of me? Mm-hmm. And take that. Yeah. So Britta, when I look back on my own journey, my first birth, I let, I, I, I didn't let go, right? I was 43 weeks gestation. My baby was 10 pounds, six ounces. I believed in my body's ability to go into spontaneous labor. So I refused to show up for a lot of induction appointments. (laughs) But when the labor began, I did birthing from within and Bradley and I had been a doula for 10 years and, and I just let the fear sweep right over me into dissociation, into an epidural, into augmentation into a hemorrhage into more dissociation when I met my child. And when I went to birth my second child, I remember saying, under no circumstances will there be an epidural. <laughs> under no circumstances. Like, I, I, I had to really train 
it was just like this constant practice of reassuring myself to not be afraid of the sensations. Yeah, it can be overwhelming and surrendering to those can be huge. And for other people, surrendering is not in that way is not what's wanted that surrendering to medical pharmaceutical support for pain management is their surrender. Mm -hmm. There's not a single right way. Right. So when you're teaching your classes and you're using mythology, and I saw in many of your reels and you have figures and statues and idols and different things that you bring in, can you tell me where does your passion and love and understanding of mythology meet this idea of surrender and how are you teaching that? And I know I'm asking almost the question that you don't want, right? Which is like, we want to know exactly what to do, right? We want that checklist. So in a way of not saying that, but like, are there a few things that my listeners, besides reading your book, but like if they were sitting in that room, kind of getting that hug from you in your class, can you help us understand mythology yeah. and transformation? Yes, I can a little bit. <laughs> I mean, they're linked in certain ways. I mean, one of the ways is that storytelling, mythology, metaphor, symbols, those are ancient technologies of learning. Mm -hmm. And they connect to a part of the brain that is still engaged and active when it is an, in the hormonal dance and, and being marinated by the hormones of labor and birth. So when we talk about information and wanting folks to have good information, one of the things I want to do is help make it sticky. I want it to where they can access it, even in a state of hormonal marination in labor, birth, and new parenthood. So that's where I bring in storytelling. That's where I bring in metaphor and analogy. I'm an analogy metaphor girl. So they come up a lot. So one of the ways that I do it, I talk about Artemis and Apollo. And those are probably the statues that you have seen that I've brought into my reels on Instagram and such. Yes. And you say it like, and of course, Artemis, and of course, Apollo. I'm like, tell me more, Breda. I know, because <laughs> Artemis and Apollo, it's like, wait, what? What do ancient Greek gods have to do with birth? Uh, Breda, that's really out there. Oh, I get it. It's out there. And it works. It totally works. So when we're talking about the different energies of what's needed in birth, the Greek gods exemplify it really well. So Artemis is associated with childbirth in part because she midwifed the birth of her mother giving birth to her twin brother, Apollo. So she came out, boom, instantly she's a midwife. I love Greek mythology, right? Yes. <laughs> Fully formed baby goddess <laughs> helps her mother. But she is also associated with childbirth because she is the goddess of the wilderness. She is protectress of small animals. She is protectress of those giving birth. She is of the earth and close to the earth like birth. So she's comfortable down on the ground with this at the moans and howls and cries of the animals. She fiercely protects her privacy, just like the laboring body prefers privacy. She is a moon goddess. So she is associated with darkness, cycles, time that is not connected to a clock, but to cycles of the moon, of the day and night, of seasons, which is also true of the laboring brain. The laboring brain gets activated by clocks 
and yet getting what the body needs for the physiologic journey of labor and birth is letting go of that clock and moving into the cycles that are occurring within the body and within the day and night. It's a different kind of thing, just like Artemis. And Artemis, you could say one of the main words to describe her is that she is untamed. She is, she is the wilderness and birth is pretty unpolite. It's untamed. Mm -hmm. It's physiologically speaking, it resides within the wilderness. And when we see two gods that are twins, we are meant to see them together. So we need to also talk about Apollo. And Apollo is a god associated with culture. It's like Artemis is wilderness, animals. Apollo is culture. He's god of poetry. He's a god of music. These are things that we think of that make us more cultured more human, less animal. That's him. He's also associated with law and order. And his son is the God of medicine. So he's associated with medicine. He's also a sun God and sun gods are about visibility, brightness, being seen. And our overculture, the culture that presses down on all of us, there's a lot of microcultures and separate cultures within this, this society, but the overculture is that set of messaging that those messages that press down on us that come in the form of should. Mm-hmm. The overculture of, of this space is Apollonian. Mm-hmm. It's about visibility. It's about order. It's about being within the bounds of civilization, holding ourselves as human rather than animal, well-ordered, cultured, polite society, brightly lit. I mean, now we have social media, lots of visibility. And that part of birth can work against the physiology of the body while at the same time offer us really valuable tools when needed. And as a strong part of the overculture message. So we prepare in this Apollonian way. We we put together birth plans. We gather all this information. And then, and that's all Apollonian. And then labor comes in and is like, oh, hello, here's some Artemis for you. Mm-hmm. We're in the wilderness. We are outside of the bounds of civilization in what it is that birth asks of us. Yeah. So we need, there's a, there's a value in each. I put a little more focus in my classes on Artemis only because that energy tends to be the one that is less familiar, Mm -hmm. less practiced. So it's like, maybe this connects back to when I was a yoga teacher, but there are those folks who are just super bendy and they just want to bend and bend and bend and bend and bend. And it's like, you, you want to actually put some energy into the strength because bendy is already there for you. Mm -hmm. So over culture speaking, we're very Apollonian. So putting some focus on, okay, what happens if you're down in the wilderness and you're not wanting bright lights, you're not wanting to be watched. And what labor asks of you is to howl and moan like the animal body rather than the human cultured persona. How do we meet these? How do we sit with them? Yeah. Do you and ref- respect both? Yes. Do you often find in your practice or see I see something in my own practice with this type of philosophy. And the more that 
I spend time with my clients introducing them to their mammalian self and their primal self. Even small exercises like taking off our shoes and watering or putting our feet in the soil or spending time gardening, just doing something. Most of my clients work at Bank of America and Wells Fargo. I mean, these are the employees here where I live. And so getting them out of that and getting them into their more primal state, I will find over the course of nine or 10 months, they start fearing their mammalian self less. Right. That's part of, I love that that those are some of the steps that you do. Those are some of the things that I recommend in my book is spend time in nature. Mm-hmm. Unplug. I, I mean, that's a hard one for most of us, right? But moving into uh, turning on music and moving not according to what you think is proper dance etiquette, but moving according to what the body is asking for mm-hmm. can help to reprogram. And yes, putting your feet in water, going for hikes, going for walks outdoors, anything that can connect us just a little bit to that more, in my language, Artemisian side of us, in your words, the mammalian side, they're the same thing. I'm just using a different metaphor. That can be very helpful for the process of stepping into that for labor and birth and new parenthood, because new parenthood is another place that asks us to be in the wilderness. Mm -hmm. Shit is not organized and time-based on the other side of birth. It's, it's wild. It's intense. It can be also beautiful, but it can also be private, quiet, dark, and solitary. And very animalistic. Things are happening in our bodies after birth. Interestingly, the lochia, the blood of afterbirth is named after Artemis. I had no idea. Yeah. Lokia is uh, one of her uh, names that shows up in Greek mythology. Beautiful. Yeah. So there, there's all sorts of, I mean, Artemisia, uh, an herb is associated with her as well. And that's associated as in certain ways with birth. So yeah, there's all sorts of connecting pieces with ancient Greek culture and stories. And I loved earlier that you said too, like sometimes the surrender is meeting a stronger relationship with Apollo, right? Absolutely. And and surrendering and transforming attitudes about hospitals and medicine and interventions and support that may look different than what we dreamed about or visioned about. Yeah, Um, absolutely. I mean, I think about cesarean birth is a highly Apollonian birth and we would want it to be so. We want the bright light to be able to make sure that the providers can see clearly. We want a provider who has all of the training and has gone through all the rules and regulations to get to a point to be able to do that. Well, those are very Apollonian. Mm -hmm. Being able to have opportunities for birth in Apollo's realm matter. So I'm going to ask what I think is a hard question, (laughs) but bring it. What happens or what would your advice be? I know you've talked about like the eight ideals of identity and parents and birth professionals engaging these, right? Ideals. But what happens if someone's listening right now and they were not transformed by birth or so they don't feel that way? Maybe they're left feeling that they were connected neither with Apollo or Artemis. And they are coming to your online course or to your book or to this conversation Because they're really seeking healing in the next opportunity. Or maybe they don't have another opportunity. Maybe that was it. 
Yeah. And they're left, but they have an opportunity for parenting. Right. Absolutely. I mean, I hear frequently from folks who say, actually reading your book after my birth helped me have a new way of looking at my birth experience. And I'm not going to tell anybody that they have to be transformed by birth or that being transformed by birth is singular. I'm a big believer in multiplicity and rather than duality. And what one transformation looks like is likely very, very different than another. There's not one way to be transformed. And it might be that that they were expecting a transformation to look and feel a particular way, and they got something entirely different. Mm -hmm. A lot of the work that can help folks in having an experience that fits within a concept of whether it's transformation or change or growth happens in the prenatal period around developing expectations that are more expansive. Mm -hmm. Some of the folks that I have worked with that have been the most um, traumatized or have a really difficult experience with what happened in their birth are those who expect to give birth at home and instead birth in an operating room through surgery because the difference was so big between what they expected and what they got. Mm -hmm. And so there's a way in which it's like birth, birth transforms us, <laughs> whether it's how we want to be transformed or not, we're going to get changed by it. And we might fight the change. We might resist the change. We might embrace the change. We might say, oh, hell no, I was not changed. And yet something is different within us. It's, it's hard. It's hard to know exactly what happens. If, if we don't feel that our birth was a transformative experience in the way that we wanted it to be, then it can be powerful to sit and hold space for that, to respect where we are. One of the things that is, I think, very helpful in the practice of parenthood, as well as in the preparation for birth and, and labor, is the, the holding space for what is. We do a lot of not that, including whatever it is we're feeling. There's a, there's a term in Buddhism that's referred to as the second arrow. And this, this is probably what I would say to folks. It's like the, there is the experience that is happening. And that experience that is happening might be how we are feeling about something. Mm -hmm. But then we can shoot a second arrow at ourselves. It's like the first arrow already hits. Like <laughs> this birth experience was not what I wanted. I hated it or I'm hurt by it. And we feel those arrows piercing our soul. But then there's the second arrow, the arrow that we shoot at ourselves that says we shouldn't be feeling the way we're feeling. And it's often that arrow that pierces us most deeply. Mm -hmm. So I like to say wherever you can unhook or stop shooting the arrows of self-judgment, mm -hmm. that's do it wherever that is. Now, I can be really good at self-judgment. Most of us are, are well-trained. 
And so we might have the experience and then how we're feeling about the experience and then how we're judging ourselves for how we're feeling about the experience. And then there's the judgment about judging ourselves for judging the experience that we're having. I mean, it can get like a really long chain Mm -hmm. wherever we can unhook and go, oh, Britta, yeah, this is hard for you. I don't know why, but my tender voice talks to me in the third person. So (laughs) I'm just going with it where my, that kinder inner voice is like the voice that shows up for me when I'm with my kids, when they're in pain Mm -hmm. and I try and nurture that voice to myself. Yeah. And I cannot stress enough what you're saying about the tools in which like we were just talking in third person, but really like in first person, all of this is about empowering each of you listening for the work and the perspective that you can take for yourself. And, and Britta, I, I'm, I know that you have some of the similar things happen to you as I have happened because we're birth workers and this is what happens is that these individuals will come to us, right? To our, to, for me to be their doula, for you to be their childbirth educator, their mentor, you know, in some way. And, and the, they are getting this message that says, I'm not going to save you, right? Like, hi, you're hiring a doula or a childbirth educator, like, we're here to help support you to do the hard work that you that birth calls you into and that's one of the like the toughest conversations for me in my work is sharing it's it's not about me I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be a savior to you I'm not gonna my double hip squeeze isn't gonna be like the thing right like this is everything is internal Right. Yeah. Well, and there's, I mean, yes, there's so many things you can do as a doula to support. Absolutely. Right. I mean, I'm a strong believer in doulas. (laughs) And if you put, I I like to talk about the turning of the family wheel Mm -hmm. that prior to becoming a parent, we're in the seat of the child and the overculture really reinforces the seat of the child. Be innocent, be young, be you know, free and, and, and uninformed and just woo, right. That's, that's reinforced in the overculture, that idea of innocence. Um, and in becoming a parent, we move from the seat of the child to make room for our baby or babies, which means we got to get our butt into the seat of the parent. And Doing that can be scary. So the child, the parent who is become who the the individual who is becoming a parent and is hanging out in the seat of the child is used to saying, "Tell me what to do. Save me," because we've gotten that message through our education system. We've gotten that message through our upbringing. We've gotten that message politically. We've gotten the message over and over again that says, don't worry, sweetheart, I've got you. But when we take the seat of the parent, we, we in order to make room for our child to be the child, if the doula or the childbirth educator puts their butt in the seat of the parent and is like, let me do it for you. Let me help you. Let me do this. Let me do that. We're actually reinforcing that the new parent is a child. Yep. So instead, as professionals, we walk alongside them to help them take the seat of the parent, which includes some of the responsibility the ownership, the autonomy, the let me help you give you information and suggestions and guidance, and you make the decisions. You do the work. I'm here lifting, supporting, but not doing it for you. Because 
actually that's a disservice. Mm-hmm. It and keeps the parent in their child self. Yes, So beautifully said. And we allow them to then be transformed by birth. By birth, by new parenthood. Yeah. By all of it. I know we're closing our time together. And so two last questions. One is going to go back to mythology. Is there an icon or a god or goddess or a symbol that you feel like embodies you the best? That's a, it's a good question and not one I've played with. I mean, I have to admit I'm a wild, crazy fan of Artemis. Okay. I think I'm pretty Artemisian in a lot of ways and getting to know her through my research and my work has definitely brought me closer to a part of myself as a person and as a woman that was previously untapped to the state that I wanted her. Mm-hmm. That there was an element of living in an Apollonian culture that was keeping a part of me tamed. So getting to know her more has been like, oh yeah, I like this. So probably Artemis. Oh, I love it. Now you wear a lot of work hats, right? With, I do. <laughs> with coaching and being a author. Solo, solopreneurs, right? How many work hats do we wear? So many. <laughs> so many. But I want to ask you today, when you... You know, each one of these things I know has sparks. Otherwise, we wouldn't do it. But what part of the things that you are doing right now, what is giving you the most spark right now? What's bringing you to life the most that you're working on? Oh, well, I mean, there's so many things that are bringing me to life. I love working with parents. Absolutely love it. And I do that you know, in spurts because I do these classes and then I'm not doing that except for private clients, you know, in the time between. But the constant that is happening for me right now is I'm at the tail end of my professional apprenticeship. Mm -hmm. I have a six month apprenticeship that I start in the fall and then I go through March. So we are at the super juicy, super fun, like, Oh, I I mean, we're every session is just rich and full and captivating. And I'm watching their eyes just pop and spark. And it's like watching professional transformation occur. And so that I have to say in the peak month of that work. Oh, I love it. I just like to hear where people's hearts are. Yeah, it's really, it's fun. Super fun. (laughs) Britta, thank you so much for being here today and sharing about Transformed by Birth. Let's leave the audience with where they can find you. Like, how do you want the birth story listeners to connect with you? Instagram is definitely the best place. It's where I am the most. And that is at Britta Bushnell, PhD. And so you can find me there. My book is a great place to connect with me, and that can be found wherever books are sold, Transformed by Birth, published by Sounds True in 2020. And those are probably the best spots. My website is brittabushnell.com. So that's where you can find me. Just use my name. Your book means so much to me. I've recommended it to all of my private dual clients since it was introduced to me. And I'm just very thankful that it's in the world that your calling to your love for mythology led you to this PhD, which led you to this dissertation, which led you to this book. I mean, the way our lives unfold is just so cool. And I appreciate your presence here today for my audience too, Britta. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's getting to hear people and how they're interacting with the book is 
I mean, I, as an author, you probably know this, but it's kind of like sending your kids off into the world and they never write back. So you don't know what's happening. And so hearing how it's impacting people feels like a call from my kid from college saying, Hey mom, I'm doing really well. And having now being an empty nester, those calls really matter. So thank you for sharing how this work has impacted you. It's meaningful to me. And I really profoundly and deeply appreciate it. Oh, you're so welcome. Have a great day, Britta. Thank you. You too. Thank you for listening to Birth Story. My goal is you will walk away from each episode with a clear picture of how labor and delivery might go and that you will feel empowered by the end of your pregnancy to speak up plan and prepare for the birth you want, no matter what that looks like.